You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. My name is Parker McDonald and I am your host today. And I'm also going to be joined by my good friend, Greg Godfrey, who's co-hosting with me. Today, we're going to be talking to a guy from Georgia named Nathan Unger. We're going to talk outdoor riding, some hunting stories, and even a quick product review. So if you're a whitetail hunting addict like I am, I think you're going to like this one. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 12th episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I am your host, Parker McDonald, and I have got a very special guest with me today as a co-host, Mr. Greg Godfrey, the saddle hunter himself. Greg, how's it going, dude? Man, I don't know how special I am, but I certainly appreciate being on uh, Southern Ground. I love the podcast. I'm a big 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 fan so of course i am pumped to be here dude we're really excited to have you filling in for blake um but more than that i just think it's great to have guys like you um as a constant voice on the show or on videos that we do or anything like that um you have a lot of influence i think in the industry and and even if even if you don't have much influence you're a pretty cool guy so (laughs) (laughs) well i'm not sure which one's better to have influence or just be a cool dude yeah i don't i don't know i know some people that have influence they're kind of jerks so yeah well i don't know how much influence i have but it's it's just fun to be in this community i mean it's like we're at this time in in the history of hunting where there's never been more connectedness and more opportunity to meet people from all over the country and to learn quickly and learn a lot of cool information that it just wasn't possible even you know a decade or two ago and i mean like for instance like you and i i mean we've never met yet you know we feel like great friends i feel like if we went went out to eat together and with our wives we we wouldn't even miss a beat you know it would just be like we were friends in college and and i think that's so cool to be a part of this community and to be honest i'm just i'm just humbled and and pumped that I get to do it. It's so cool. Well, I want to, I want to correct you on one thing. We wouldn't have been friends in college because you're significantly older than I am. (laughs) But it's always great for you to bring that up. So (laughs) thanks thanks for pointing out the uh, old man that I am. That's that's how you know we're friends though. We can talk to each other like that, but uh, yeah, I guess, (laughs) but man, speaking of the influence of Greg Godfrey, dude, you have been making some waves in the industry lately with your new adventure tethered now if nobody has ever listened to if if there's a listener that hasn't listened to previous episodes of southern ground they may not know that we've actually had you on the show before as a guest um, talking all about saddle hunting and so since then you have really just blew everything up and made a name for yourself in the saddle hunting community. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah. Thanks man for, for bringing that up. The, uh, last time I was on the show, we were, we were right about to launch. I think it was just a couple weeks before we launched 
and it was so hard not to talk about it, but we just, we weren't quite ready and I, I couldn't, I couldn't drop it too early because, um, you know, there's such an incredible team at Tethered, uh, Ernie Power, who is my partner and, uh, partner in crime and in the business and he's super talented. And then we've got this team of, of pro staff and that are so good and talented and we have you know, hundreds of years of saddle experience between myself and Ernie and then all the team that helped us design and engineer and create these products. And it's, it's, you know, it's so far from a one man band that, I mean, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. I just play a small part, um, in, in the whole organization. I, I just, I guess I'm fortunate that, um, I don't know, I'm, I, I kind of get some of the more of the recognition than the other guys, but they probably deserve it more than even me. Cause they're way smarter and way more talented than me. I just happen to not know how to shut my mouth and I talk a lot. So <laughs> uh, I think people give me, give me the credit, but really it's the other guys that really deserve it. And, um, yeah, man, it's been a freaking crazy, uh, just a crazy few weeks as, as we launched here, not even a month ago and the support from the, the saddle hunting community and then even just the hunting community in general has been just astronomical tethered is kind of blown away every goal that ernie and i had and it's uh it's really been a fun ride and and that's really what we're doing we're just trying to hold on and keep the thing steered in the right direction because it's going it's growing so fast and saddle hunting is kind of kind of poised to take off and blow up which i'm so pumped about because that's the point you know we just think that saddle hunting uh is a better way to hunt it's 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 lighter it's more mobile it's more versatile it's uh, more comfortable it's more safe there's just so many benefits to saddle hunting that we want to uh all, we want all hunters to be able to experience and that's the point of tethered and and you know i'm just feel fortunate to be a part of it well dude and aside from all those cool things your marketing and videos and your logo and the name, dude, you like blown it out of the water. It all looks incredible. Well, thank you. Um, we put a lot of work into it. Again, team effort. I mean, it's easy for me to, to you know, people would think that it was all me. But, it, again, that couldn't be further from the truth. That's a team effort. Uh, guys like Taylor Chamberlain, the, the urban sportsman, and uh, Jared Schaefer, Flinging Arrows, uh, who you should have him on your podcast. He's, I don't think West Virginia counts as Southern. It's close. I mean, it's like right on the border, but, um, he's a great dude. You should have him on the podcast, but he's super talented and helped a lot. And then we had a, a fellow by the name of Carl Kossuth or Kossuth, Kossuth. I think it's Kossuth. Um, but he's a, you couldn't have him. He's from Missouri. So he's strictly in the Midwest, but yeah. I mean, that dude is like the Michael Jordan of sewing and he helped us prototype everything. And, I, I don't want to name everybody's Dude, names. But. I'm gonna, <laughs> that cracked me up, man. The the Michael Jordan of sewing. That, yeah. That is a that is an interesting title. I I don't care if he's from Missouri or not. I would love to have the Michael Jordan of sewing on this show. Well, it's, it's actually the I actually called him the Michael Jordan of thread injecting. Uh, that's kind of a euphemism we use on the Saddle Hunter <laughs> forum because it's not very manly to sew. So I called him the Michael Jordan of thread injecting. And, uh, hopefully that sticks. Hopefully everybody starts calling him that. That's you should just do a, a video on your G two outdoors about thread injecting. I think that would be an interesting video. It probably would. It sounds pretty hardcore though. 
Thread injecting? Definitely. That sounds tight. Way better than, than sewing. <laughs> I love that, man. You need to make him a jersey or something, like Michael Jordan <laughs> of sewing. Number 23. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Um, anything else you got going on, dude? Like, I know that everything we just said is a lifetime worth of work. So <laughs> if you have anything else going on, you're a superhuman. Well, you know, that's, believe it or not, that's just a side gig. You know, that's not the full-time effort. It's not how we, how I pay the bills and how I feed my family. So, I mean, I'm a, I'm active duty military, so I'm a soldier full-time stationed in Savannah, Georgia, uh, at Fort Stewart, Georgia. Uh, so yeah, to say that I'm busy is quite an understatement, but it's fun, man. It's a labor of love. I don't even know if you can really call it work because it's the stuff that I do for fun anyway. So, uh, it's hard to say that it's a second job. It doesn't feel like that. It just takes a lot of time. Yeah, dude, I, I get that the same. I feel the same way with, um, you know, running this podcast. Obviously it's not my full-time job and making videos. It's just fun though. I just enjoy it. It's fun. Um, but dude, check this out. So since the last episode of Southern ground, I have made a purchase that, you know, I'm, I've been guilty of making impulse decisions with money. Um, and you could ask my wife that question and she would probably tend to agree. Um, but I purchased a hunting license for the state of Kentucky, and I have never hunted Kentucky before. So that's about the only thing that I can think about right now is that, and I took a week of vacation off, and I'm going to be hunting Kentucky in September. Dude, where are you going? Um, I'm not going to say it because this is a public podcast. <laughs> are you hunting public land? Yeah, it's public land. Okay. It's a, it's a WMA and, um, but me and, uh, my friend, Michael Pike, who has been a guest on the show and another guy named Tyler Malone. And then I think a couple more people are going that I, that oh, I don't know. Oh, you forgot about that other dude that's going, oh, oh, what's his name? Greg. I think Greg was going to go with oh, you. Oh, is Greg going? Yeah. Listen, I, think he is. I invited you to go on some of these out of state trips and you said you were going to be so busy. Dude, I am. I, I was supposed to go back to Illinois. So do we have time for a quick story about Kentucky Hunt dude, real quick? Dude, tell it. I mean, okay, I want to awesome. know. If, it, if, if it'll help me, I really want to know. Okay, so I just said, uh, I just told everybody how I'm active duty Army. And there is a large um, uh, military base, Army base in Kentucky called Fort Campbell. And it is kind of a sleeper for, well, it's not really a sleeper. People in the Army know all about it, but in uh, the DOD know about it, but General, general civilians don't really understand how good the hunting is on Fort Campbell. And the reason it's so good is because it's the land is for military training. So they it may only be open up certain areas of it may only be open up, you know, a few days a year. And these are you're talking big areas that don't get much pressure. And then, you know, part of the installation may be open for uh, you know, weeks at a time, but then others, like I said, they just almost see no pressure. So anyway, I have a buddy that's stationed there and he was going to show me the ropes and my brother and I were going to Fort Campbell, Kentucky last year, second week in November. We are pumped. It's, uh, we're leaving on a Saturday. We're driving there. We're going to scout Saturday afternoon, hunt Sunday, and then, uh, or, or scout Saturday afternoon, scout Sunday, and then hunt Monday through the rest of the week. It's Wednesday before our trip. We are pumped. We've got uh, hotels reserved. 
We even rented a boat because there was some water access only that we were going to use. And it's Wednesday, and the the installation put a message up on their outdoor website that said, notice all hunting is shut down on Fort Campbell for the next two weeks due to military training. And we are like, oh, no. You know, we had been planning this for a year. And it just like that, poof, gone. Uh, so we had to scramble and – uh, we ended up going to Southern Illinois, which is the neighbor of Kentucky. But man, I was so pumped. We were going to hunt Fort Campbell and land between the lakes, which is right there on the border of Tennessee and Kentucky. Yeah. And man, we had, I had paid for the maps. I had rented the cabin in land between the lakes. I had rented hotels at Fort Campbell. We had a, we had, like I said, a boat. I mean, we had done all the homework I had on X maps. Uh, we had, we had marked everything up in Onyx maps. We knew where we we're going, where we we're scouting. I mean, we had done everything, all the homework, and it just, you know, in the blink of an eye, went away. Dude, that's a bummer. Total <laughs> bummer. I got to say thank you to you because uh, I was listening to a, to to the podcast a few episodes ago, and you talked about the Go Wild app, and yeah. that thing is awesome. I love it. I downloaded it. I've been messing around with it. I really like it. Yeah, I don't know if you did that, if you knew this, but um, the reason I'm actually going to Kentucky in the first place is because there's a go wild get together in Louisville uh, in mid July, and so we just made it a scouting trip. I'm going to go to this hangout. Um, it's at Third Third Street Brewing or so, something like that um, in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm going to ha- go hang out with the guys from Go Wild, and we're going to make a scouting trip out of it. But man, I was telling you before we started this. You know, I think with a lot of product sponsorships and, and, you know, different things like that in the industry, it's easy to get caught up in, in it and, and promote stuff that you don't actually really like or really use. Um, but man, I've got to say, like, I have found myself when I catch a fish or when I find something cool, I, I almost stepped on a cottonmouth the other day. Um, I'm more excited about posting it to go wild than I am about you know, Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. Um, and I think part of it's because man, just the people that are on there are awesome. It's like-minded people. You don't have to worry about offending anybody. Um, it's just, it's just a really cool, cool app, man. And and one of the things I just did is signed up for a giveaway that they're doing with six site gear and with, um, from field to plate. They're doing this huge, like $4,500 giveaway right now. And all you have to do is just sign up. Like you don't have to share anything. You just sign up, man. It's pretty cool. Definitely. I'm going to go check it out too. I, I downloaded it and I think I set up my profile and I maybe even posted a picture or two. And then I got so busy with work that I, I haven't really been doing much of anything other than work. But, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of the go wild app. I'm going to definitely start using it. Yeah. And, and one thing before we get into this week's episode, we actually, um, got to to have that episode with Brad Luttrell from go wild. It was shared on Brad's podcast feed, which is the restless native. And that was actually this week's episode of the restless native was our interview with Brad. So y'all go check that out. Um, give Brad some support on the restless native. That's a really cool podcast. It's a lot of storytelling. It's really fun. So today, though, we are talking with a guy named Nathan Unger, who is a outdoor writer for a magazine called Wide Open Spaces, and we're going to talk about that. But Nathan is just a good old Georgia boy, 
And I felt a little bit ganged up on, to be honest, because I invited Greg and Nathan on the same episode, two Georgia boys. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say I I had second thoughts on that decision, but I kind of had second thoughts. I'm just kidding. Not really. But it was a it was a great 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 time great episode talking with Nathan. So we're gonna get into that. He talks about product review with Scent Crusher, um, which is really cool. I've been really interested in that, and he also gives us a couple of good hunting stories. So, Greg, do you have anything else that you want our listeners to know from you? Well, I think it's just cool that you you're having these guys in the South like Nathan uh, on the podcast and. It's so different than than a lot of the other hunting podcasts that are out there that you're focused and, you know, you've got like laser beam focus on hunting in the South. And I really like it. You know, it's different and it's unique. And uh, I'm a big fan. And Nathan, how cool is it? He's an outdoor writer. I mean, that's awesome. I want to be like Nathan when I grow up. Um, yeah, he's a great dude. It was really cool to meet him digitally and get to talk with him about uh, some of his hunting experiences and kind of his experiences writing. And that was a really interesting conversation. I think the listeners are going to really enjoy it. I do too. So let's let them listen to it guys. Without further ado, here is Nathan Unger. All right. I have got my good buddy, Greg Godfrey on the line. And I've also got Nathan Unger, who is our guest for today. Nathan and Greg, how are you guys doing? Man, I am doing fantastic. I'm surprised that you let me come back on the podcast, but I'm pumped that you did. <laughs> doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored to be here. Dude, we're we're really excited to have both of you guys. Um, it's pretty cool. I, I Sometimes you meet these people, um, and in this case, both of you guys have been – I've met both of you online – um, not on online dating sites, but instead on Facebook <laughs> forums and things like that. And uh, you meet these kind of people and you feel like you just have like a really cool, you have a lot in common. Greg, actually, and Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, but you used to work in ministry, right? Like you, your dad's a pastor, you're a preacher's kid. Yeah, I, I certainly did. For oh, five years I, or so, I was on staff at a big church, my dad's church in Pensacola, Florida. My dad's been a pastor you know, since I was born. And um, yeah, so I have, we definitely have that in common. And then we're weird because we both love kayak hunting and yeah. kayak fishing and getting into public land. Yeah. So there's all these connections and who knew, man, it's like we're brother from another mother. Yeah, man. And Nathan, actually the first thing that me and Nathan talked about, Nathan, I don't remember if it was like, if it was Instagram or Facebook, but you were telling me that you're a guitar player. You play like worship music at your church. That is correct. Yeah. So, uh, kind of a similar story. My, I'm also a PK, so I'm a preacher's kid and oh, man. Uh, just from the time. Yeah, I know. So this is a the crazy little trio we got going on. There's a lot of trouble coming out of this <laughs> yeah. podcast. I promise. There really is. I'm going to have to put that little, that little, uh, red E the explicit sign on here because this exactly. is going to get pretty rough. Well, Let's, at least we're not Deacon's kids. <laughs> yeah. They, they were, true. they were true the bad influences, yes. but cool. Well, That's we're not going to talk too much about, about, uh, that kind of stuff because this is a hunting podcast. Instead, we're going to talk about deer hunting. How's that sound? That's great. Yeah, man, it's going to be fun. So Nathan um, is our guest today. He is from Athens, Georgia, correct? That is correct. Yes, sir. 
Cool. Well, we are super happy to have you on, man. And uh, why don't we just start out? You just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do for a living and and kind of how you got started hunting. Sure. Yeah. So um, I am an outdoor rider, uh, like you said, right outside of Athens, Georgia. Um, been here for going on about, oh gosh, about eight years now. So I grew up right outside of Atlanta. And then, in fact, my family moved out of state and I came back down to go to school and um, really got started uh, outdoor writing from a project um, in one of my journalism classes. And it kind of just blossomed into a blog. And um, that's where it kind of took off from there. So, uh, you know, like we talked about uh, earlier, I am um, in the ministry. That is my my day job. But I I do write for uh, a couple of outlets. And one of those being Wide Open Spaces, um, one of our local print magazines, the George Outdoor News, G-O-N, as many people know it as. And then I have done a couple of things uh, PR related for the Quality Deer Management Association as well. So um, been uh, doing it since college, uh, which wasn't that long ago, but it, it's getting longer and longer. And that's kind of you know how I basically cut my teeth on um, writing. Uh, I, I didn't get into hunting as early as many people probably did um, who are listening to this. I got started around the age of 10 or 12 when we moved to Georgia, and um, that's when we started, I guess, deer hunting uh, full-fledged. We we grew up turkey hunting. That was my dad's thing. Uh, we actually were in Indiana for several years, and he just loved chasing birds, and so that was kind of the the, the thing that that's where we learned to hunt were chasing turkeys and uh, doing that up in, in Indiana. And we kind of translated that down here when we moved up doing some some public land turkey hunting in the morning in North Georgia and then some trout fishing in the afternoon. And it made for a really, really good camping trip. And that's kind of what we grew up doing. And then um, just kind of from that is where our uh, our evolution of deer hunters um came from so that's that's in a nutshell very short where um my hunting heritage is from that's cool man so i noticed something about that you don't hear a lot of people say that they lived in indiana and then they didn't start hunting until they moved to georgia like that Uh, seems that seems kind of backwards (laughs) doesn't it yeah, I've got a real it soft very, spot for Indiana. Yeah. I killed the largest buck I ever shot in a little five-acre piece of woods in, uh, let's see, western Indiana, right on the Ohio border. So you start talking Indiana hunting, and my ears perk up real fast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I, and that's I, – I know we might get into this a little bit later, but that's kind of one of my goals for 2018 is I'm hoping – to get back up to that that great state, we still have some contacts up there, and um, now that I'm, you know, a little bit more on my own, I can make some of those decisions to make those long drives from from Georgia. And so I'm, I'm hoping to locate some property. I mean, I, there's always the option to do public land, of course, but um, if we can connect with some some old friends, we might be able to make that happen this season. So we'll see. Uh, we were we were located um, on the Louisville side of Kentucky, so right above the Ohio River uh, in South Indiana. So that's where we were at. Okay. I'm actually going to be going on a trip. It's not, it's not quite up that far in Kentucky, but uh, we're going to be going around. Do you know where Sturgis, Kentucky is? 
I personally do not know. Okay. it's. It, I don't think it's a big town, but uh, I've got a trip planned for September. So it's going to be like before we even get started with the season out here. So I'm pretty pumped about that. But, uh, man, that's that's super cool. I know that when I lived in Georgia, I spent a little bit of time, about a, uh, two years in Georgia, uh, pretty close to where you're at, actually. And I moved there not expecting to be super pumped about whitetails. And man, I was so wrong because you get, we were talking about this earlier, you get there and you start seeing these deer, like especially around urban uh, parts of Atlanta, you see these deer and I actually got to hunt, um, on a, on a little bitty, little bitty piece of property. It was like 17 acres and it was, it was pretty crazy. There was a house on this 17 acres, like an old trailer house that nobody lived in. And I set up my stand, like literally five yards away from this trailer house. And uh, I shot two deer there that year, and man, I miss it, dude. It, Georgia is really a cool state to hunt. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. It, it's it is a neat gym. There are uh, several giant bucks um, from North Georgia all the way down to the coast. Um, obviously, as you go further south, they're going to be a little bit bigger in ag country. But um, you know, even in and around Atlanta, if you do your your scouting and do your homework, you can find some some hidden gems. So it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. In fact, um, I, I failed to mention this earlier, but one of my first jobs in middle school and high school, I actually worked at a deer processor and, um, it was one of those jobs where, you know, the typical high schooler was just disgusted from doing it. And I was like, man, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. And I remember one of my first years at the job, a just, massive buck came into the cooler and i think the buck ended up um grossing 211 inches and that's just not a, an animal you see in georgia very often especially around the atlanta area and i think at that point um is when i kind of it kind of hit me and i got the itch more so than i already had uh, just knowing that even in a, a south uh, a southern state that you know bucks like that existed. Obviously, they're few and far between, but they they are able to make it from time to time. Yeah, I would say there's definitely a uh, wide range of deer, uh, let's say genetics in Savannah because, or not in Savannah, but in Georgia, uh, across the whole state. Because kind of like you mentioned, Nathan, Nathan, up up north you have the mountains and you don't have the ag and then as you move further south you get to more farm country and you even have some great urban hunting like you talked about around atlanta and then as you move even further south down closer to florida and where i am on the east coast of georgia and savannah it's all swamps and and stuff like that so you're hunting almost a different strain of deer because our deer rut in in early october uh whereas i can drive an hour to the west and get on a traditional November uh, time frame rut. It's really interesting, and a lot of it has to do with how they repopulated the area with northern deer back in, I want to say, the 60s, uh, 50s or 60s, when they pretty much killed all the deer, and they brought a lot of deer in from Wisconsin down to Georgia and kind of repopulated the area, and they so they have all these weird ruts. Um, and like I said, my deer hunt, my, my deer rut in October, so I can start rut hunting at the beginning of October and go all the way through November. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, and, and even if you wanted to go a step beyond that, you could go up to the mountains and uh, catch the, the rut in December. So there's definitely a lot of uh, opportunities and options when you're hunting here in Georgia. So it's a lot of fun for sure. I've uh, it, it, Correct me if I'm wrong, Greg. You probably know a little bit better than I do. But isn't there some parts of Florida that rut in like August? Yeah, down south in, in Florida. Um, they, they rut in August. And then up where I'm from, the Pensacola, Florida area, which is uh, as far northwest as it gets in Florida, they, they rut that same time frame that you mentioned, Nathan, in, um, in January, February time frame. You can get mm-hmm. rutting activity all the way into March. It's crazy in, in the south how varied the rut timing can be. Yeah, that's, that's how it is where I, where I hunt, the, the, the national forest that I hunt in. Like it's so big and so vast that some parts of it you can go in there and I, I saw a deer like a buck dog and a doe uh, in the beginning of or I'm sorry in late October last year but most of the the national forest that I'm at it's like January late December and in January which is crazy like that you can be on the same piece of property and have these ruts that are so far apart it's pretty cool. It's really nuts, and it's it's an interesting topic to to think about. You know, how did this happen? How did these deer uh, in different parts of the country just you know evolve on a micro level to have these different ruts? And it kind of makes sense from a northern perspective. You know, the deer need to be bred, the does need to be bred in the fall so they can time the spring green up and the melt of the snow with the time that the fawns are dropping and so that kind of makes sense but then you know come further down south and we don't have to worry about weather effects to the same degree so it's it's just kind of strange how all that happened i really like it it's uh it gives you a little more options too i think you know where you can hunt different times you can catch multiple ruts which is pretty cool but man i i I think i don't know if you guys would agree because y'all live there uh which by the way uh I didn't think about this before I scheduled it, but we got one Alabama guy and two Georgia guys on this <laughs> on this show. I just feel like that's not fair. But anyways, um, uh, <laughs> I wasn't gonna bring it up. Yeah, it's, because it's you did. okay. <laughs> and then if it makes you feel better, I'm really a Florida guy. I just happen oh, to be gosh. parked in in Georgia right now. Okay, that makes sense. Well, if it makes me feel any better, also I'm also a Texas guy, not really an Alabama guy. So so there you doesn't go. Doesn't matter. Um, but I think I really do believe that in the coming years, Georgia is going to be, I'm trying, it's not going to, I think it's a sleeper state right now. And I really do believe that you're going to start seeing some, some bigger deer, some bigger genetics. I know I used to hunt in like, uh, Thomaston area of Georgia Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of QDMA counties down there. And I don't Mm -hmm. know about North, North Georgia, how that is, but that area where I was at, there's it's very much QDMA laws, and uh, I really think it's going to start producing pretty soon. Yeah, for sure. And the um, I think the entire state, if not most of the state, has um, an antler point restriction for uh, one buck. So I think you can, you can take two, and one of them has to have four on one side. So um, that's statewide. And then, of course, you have some of the WMAs. Um, require that antler point restriction on the only buck that you can harvest if uh, you draw or if you sign in, whatever the case may be. So, I mean, for sure, the the management systems are in place for these bucks just to, you know, take off. And, I mean, every year you see great 
bucks taken in the state. I mean, for the last several years in a row and they predicted last year to be a really great year. And I think they're even predicting this year to be, um, if not the same, maybe even better. So we'll see. Time will tell for sure. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure like one of the record book whitetails came out of Tennessee, which is crazy. Um, but did y'all know yep. that, did y'all know that Georgia has the world record largemouth bass? I did. Yeah. That, yes. So, yeah. And actually yep. where I hunt, where I fish here on Fort Stewart, it's something crazy. Like it's, it's like eight or nine of the, of the country or of Georgia's top 50 all time biggest bass have come from this little military installation in Savannah. And, and even furthermore, I think four or five of them have come out of one 50 acre pond. It's incredible. That's awesome. It's the radiation. (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and then in in addition to that, we don't have to talk about this too much, but, um, a young, uh, young boy just caught a giant brown trout up in North Georgia. Um, I think it was a pending state record. So we'll have to see, I guess when they officially weigh that, but it was, it was huge. So, I mean, once again, North Georgia, you got great stuff, great hunting, great fishing, South Georgia, great hunting, great fishing. So, I mean, just it's a great state to be in. Yeah. So, so Nathan, moving on a little bit in these questions, you, um, you sent me a message not too long ago about some quota hunts, uh, that you're, that you're trying to do. And, um, man, that just sounds super cool. Is that something that you've done a lot of is the, the quota hunts out there on the WMAs? So I have not done too many quota hunts. I actually just started doing that uh, last year, and I got drawn for my first one um, last year. But I have been doing what they refer to as sign-in hunts. So you you basically have um, two options. You have the sign-in where you can just go to the the specified dates in the regulation. Uh, either I mean, they used to do it where you walk up to the station, sign in on a piece of paper. Now you can do it online and just, you know, take off in the public land. And then you have quota hunts, which, um, you know, are pretty much exactly what it sounds like. There's a quota of hunters who are drawn each year to go um, hunt uh, most of the time some some better quality bucks. And so um, I did that last year for the first time and um, I did not shoot a buck. I did shoot a doe. I think you can get one buck and one doe, Um, but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I went out there by myself, um, which is, you know, I'd never stepped foot on this specific WMA. And so I'd done um, everything was aerial scouting, um, topo scouting, and then I, you know, drove out there early, early one morning, had my spot picked out. And of course, you know, with public land, I ran into um, some hunters who were already there who had beat me to the punch. And when I first pulled up, there was only one guy and I was like, OK, this isn't going to be too bad. I mean, this is a, a pretty you know, sizable chunk of, of property. I was like, this isn't going to be so bad at all. So I get out. And I just talked to him briefly, trying to get an idea of which direction he's going. And he was like, oh, well, there's actually already three guys out there. And I was like, oh, okay." (laughs) And I was like, well, why don't you show me where they are so that I don't run into them? Um, Because this was a a rifle hunt. This wasn't an archery hunt. So I did not want to be mistaken early in the morning. And he kind of showed me where they were. And of course, they were like set up along the only walking trail um, from between where I was and my spot. So I was like, okay, we're going to have to go with plan like D at this point. And so um, 
I took off to a spot um, since I wasn't 100% sure where I was. I kind of just crouched down next to a tree. I did have my climber with me, but um, I basically uh, took took a hike back into the woods a pretty good way, just making sure I was way out of the way of these guys and um, uh, spent all morning there. Didn't see a thing. I saw a ton of deer sign. Um, just, you know, you could tell that they had been there. This, this was actually the second quota hunt. So they had already had one quota hunt and two sign-in hunts prior to this specific hunt. So there was, you know, there was a significant amount of, uh, hunter traffic that had already been on this property. But so spent the entire morning about noon, one o'clock, I decided to move a little bit just to um, try to set myself up for the evening hunt a little bit better. And I really didn't go that far. I probably went uh, maybe a quarter to half a mile. And uh, what, one thing that I was trying to key in on, so I know, Greg, you know this, but with Georgia, there's a lot of planted pines, maybe not so much in South Georgia, but definitely as you approach South Georgia and, um, you know, middle Georgia up to North Georgia, there's a lot of planted pines and, you know, this was no exception. So I was trying to find a transition area, maybe, maybe some water, maybe some hardwoods. And so that's what I set out to do. And within probably 20 to 30 minutes, I found an area that was similar to what I was looking for. And so I was like, okay, now I could, now I just need to find a tree to set up on. Well, um, I had kind of situated myself where I thought that these deer might be traveling. You know, I had no really knowledge of where they were going other than just the terrain features. I mean, there was not, I mean, I'm, you know, it was, you couldn't tell if there were any tracks because the leaves were on the ground. Um, and so there was this one spot in this Creek, this Creek was probably, um, you know, eight to 10 feet down in this ditch. And so I knew that these deer weren't just crossing anywhere they could. There was one spot where there was a little bit of a, uh, a funnel for lack of better terminology that, um, there was the only place within this probably a hundred to 200 yard stretch where these deer could, could cross unless they just, you know, clear leaped over it. And so I set up on this tree downwind of this little, this little funnel and, um, still, you know, four, four thirty, didn't see anything. Didn't even, I mean, nothing. I was getting a little discouraged, but about five o'clock, three deer, three does came out of these pines that were above me up on this hill where I had been sitting they kind of meandered down. They came, I mean, within 15 feet of my stand. So I probably could have poked them with a bow and arrow if um, I had it. But um, this was a rifle hunt. So they came, you know, right upwind of me. Didn't have a clue I was there. And um, two of them, actually, <laughs> all three of them crossed the creek, which was my first mistake. Um, and then uh, I went and I shot one of the does. And, um, that was, that was that. And I, you know, it's not to some that might not be the, the, the greatest story ever, but for me, I took a lot of pride in that because number one, I scouted pretty much everything from, um, maps provided from, uh, the DNR and then, uh, just, you know, Google earth topo maps and, um, just from on the foot scouting. And, um, so having, 
you know, shot that doe and then just sitting there knowing that I basically pieced all the, um, the pieces together to just, um, have a successful hunt that night and was able to, uh, put some meat in the freezer. So it was a lot of fun. And then of course the hard work began, had to dress her out and then lug her probably a mile to a mile and a half, um, back to the truck. So those are always fun, man. I love those. I love those kind of stories. I, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, you know, you said something there that I, that I want to talk about for a second. Sure. Um, you you said to some people it might not be that great of a story, but for you, you, you really took a lot of pride in it. And, man, I, I can think of so many times. I just posted a picture on Go Wild uh, just a little bit ago of, of me in this, like, bright turquoise hoodie. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, you've probably heard me talk about this hoodie. Uh, but it's me with my first buck, and it was like uh, the ugliest seven point you've ever seen. Like probably <laughs> had like a six or seven inch spread, and like it was just like the ugliest deer you've ever seen. But to this day, and I can remember at that time, like it was the single greatest thing that had ever happened to me. And to mm-hmm. some people, it wouldn't have been that great. Uh, but I think. Uh, you know, Aaron Warbritton said something on our podcast not too long ago. He said, the adventure is what you make it. And I yeah. mm-hmm. have thought about that. It, we were we were kind of joking about it when we were talking in, in that episode. But I've thought about that a lot. And that, that phrase has come into my head that the adventure is what you make it. And I think it's so easy to say that you're to blame things on your situation. Well, there was three other guys there and... Uh, all I shot was a doe with a rifle oh, and, and kind of be a little bit apologetic about it. But the fact of the matter is, is that you were willing to do that hike, to take that, that huge trip and, with a with a dead deer. Um, and that was worth it to you because he, it was, this was your adventure. And so I think that, man, I love that story. And I didn't even know that story uh, that you were going to talk about that with that question but man i'm glad you did because it just brought up such a good point that um we don't do this for other people we do it for us we do it to provide for our family we do it because we honestly we love the rush and the feeling and it just it's just fun man i love that kind of adventure you know i i also think that you have to remember that the beauty is truly in the eye of the beholder and for from a hunting perspective the worth of your hunt is truly in, in the eyes of the hunter. You know, so many people hunt for different reasons. I know a lot of guys hunt for the meat. A lot of people hunt because it's the only way they can, you know, spend time with their dad or their grandfather or their uncle or, or friends. And that's, that's how they bond. And, you know, the deer hunting is secondary to the relationship. Some people get a thrill out of big racks and, and that's fine too. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But uh, I always like to hear when people say that they only shot a doe or they only shot a spike or it was a little scrub buck that other people wouldn't have shot, but they were pumped about it because I feel the same way. And, you know, I'm active duty military, which I move around a lot. So for two or three years is all I'll ever get at a place to hunt. And by the time I finally learn the location, it's time to go again. So I'm oftentimes not in the situation where I can afford to hunt and wait, wait for big bucks. So I remember the first deer I shot in Colorado when I was out there, uncle Sam took me to Colorado and I was hunting muleys and plains whitetail. I was pumped. I was tickled when I shot my first little forky 
mule deer. And I'm sure some guys would have laughed at me and said, why in the world you do that? There's a lot bigger ones out there, but I was pumped, you know, just to get this first mule deer. I didn't care what he scored or what he weighed or if he was beautiful rack or not. I just cared that exactly like you said, Nathan, I figured out this piece of ground. I figured out where the deer was on the piece of ground. I figured out what tree I had to be in to kill him. And then it all came together and it just was a memory that I'll never forget. Dude, I wouldn't have laughed at you. I think it, I think <laughs> you probably would have. He was pretty that, tiny. I think. I, listen, if you could just see some of the skull caps that are in my house right now, you would. You might laugh at me. <laughs> but but that's not the point, right? Exactly. I mean, the point is that is that you get something from it. You get the meat. You get the the memory. You get the trophy. Whatever it is that appeals to you. Uh, that's the beautiful thing about our sport is that you don't have to do it like everyone else. You can do it for your own reasons and still get something out of it. Yeah, you're you're totally right, Nathan. Thanks so much for sharing that story, man. That was a that was a good one. I enjoyed that. But um, I want to move on a little bit. So you you're uh you you hunt some public land. I kind of feel like public land hunting is like street cred these days. If you're a public <laughs> la- public land hunter, yeah. people are like, oh, their ears perk up. They want to hear. Um, I agree. But you also do some uh, you do some private land hunting as well. Uh, you said you had some some private pieces that you can hunt, which is awesome. Um, and we're actually going to talk about a buck here in a little bit that you killed in North Carolina, which I'm pretty pumped about hearing because it was a this looks like a great deer. I actually got to see a video of it, which is a really good video. Um, but I want to talk about what you said. You started out talking about you do outdoor riding for wide open spaces. So tell me a little bit about that. You said it started from a college project, uh, but do you are you the owner of that website of wide open spaces? No, so I'm uh, I'm just part of the team. I'm uh, what they call a contributor. We we have about. Uh, so I'll, I'll say this: Wide Open Spaces is part of a bigger umbrella called Wide Open Media Group, and they are based out of Austin, Texas. And Wide Open Spaces consists of about, I think, at this time, um, I want to say like ten writers. So there's ten of us, and we are, you know, constantly putting out content and material for people to see. So Wide Open Spaces is um, completely digital. And it is, uh, it's, it's a rather new company. I think it was founded in 2011, which uh, was actually, you know, when um, I was starting my journalism degree, but they didn't reach out to me for, I think, another couple of years after that. And I've been with them since. And um, it's, like I said, it's primarily a, a digital site. And it's um, all about hunting, fishing, and shooting sports. And um, basically, their kind of tagline, it's, um, you know, the first hunting fishing site that is optimized for social and mobile experiences. And, um, you know, that's what we're all about. We're um, about getting um, content um, related to hunting, fishing, and shooting to the readers. And our team, um, each everybody has their own um, strengths in writing. There's guys who like to just hone in on, um, you know, guns and there's 
guys that like to hone in on uh, fishing. And of course, there's guys who, uh, like myself, like uh, the whitetail and the hunting side of things. And um, so it's just a, it's a great group to, to be a part of, um, a great team to work for. And um, we uh, are, you know, we have over 300,000 followers on Facebook and um, even much uh, more of a reach than that. Um, with, you know, their, their blog and, um, their different social media accounts. So, um, it's basically the way I got started with them is, um, like I had mentioned, I was doing a project for one of my classes and, um, I started a blog on my own, started just, um, in the spare time that I had, um, writing some, some hunting articles or just, you know, some reflections of the outdoors. And one day, um, one of my, uh, just, editors reached out and say, Hey, um, you know, we really enjoy your stuff. Would you like to come be a part of our team? And so, um, I think, you know, uh, that was kind of my first, um, door to outdoor writing. And I knew it was something that I was interested in, but this was kind of the thing that, um, you know, pushed me over and I was like, okay, I, I want to do this. And from there it kind of just took off. Um, I started, you know, writing, um, for wide open spaces. And then, like I said, for GON and some other outlets as well. So that's, that's it in a nutshell, pretty much. So is this like a, is this like a, like a job for you or is it kind of like you just contribute whenever you have free time? How does that work? Um, it is a, it's a part-time job, so it's not a full-time job, but, um, we, I do, um, contribute, um, pretty much, uh, I mean, if you broke it down, it would be, three articles a week. So we have, um, a quota of about 12 a month. And, um, at least I do, not everybody's the same, but, um, I do. And so we, um, you know, we're writing everything from, um, original content to, you know, the next hot thing on the market, whether, whether it's a gear review or whether it's, um, you know, uh, a breaking story or, um, whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, we're constantly looking for, um, you know, new gear that's coming out. Um, a lot of our team goes to the ATA show. Um, they go to shot show and they go to a couple other ones. Um, if it makes sense for our team to do it. And we, we do some, you know, some gear reviews and, um, some, you know, other original stuff as well. So it's a lot of fun. I really, um, enjoy it and, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's, that sounds like a, like a pretty sweet gig, man. I'm, I'm a little bit jealous, if I'm being honest with you. That sounds pretty cool. You, you talked about some uh, gear, doing some gear reviews, and man, we haven't done that's something we haven't done a lot of on this show. But I saw a picture of you and a deer, and there was a specific piece of gear that I am curious about. And I told you before that maybe no listener is going to get anything out of this, but this is just for me because I've been really <laughs> interested in this piece of gear. And that is the scent crusher bag. Um, yes. and I, and I know they have a bunch of products. I actually do have the, the cigarette lighter, the little mini one that you put in your car. Um, uh, yep. I do have that from scent crusher. Um, but man, I want to hear your take on, on their, some of their other stuff. Sure. Yeah, so um, I am a part of um, their field staff, so I um, just, I mean, I will go ahead and say that. I don't get paid by them, but um, I do um, rep some of their uh, products and have been very satisfied um, with the results for the last couple of years. And, you know, I know there's um, 
a ton of opinions on ozone products and there's a lot of products out there now. And, um, you know, I keep coming back to scent crusher is just, you know, you get what you pay for. Um, it's, it's quality products and, um, you know, quality technology. And I think that's what, I think that's what a lot of people miss when they just look at scent crusher from a distance is they just see, you know, another ozone product that's on the shelf, um, you know, that somebody's trying to make a buck off of. And, um, that's, you know, that's not necessarily the case. They, um, did a lot of research, um, and they refer to it as NASA based research and, um, they have a, you know, and I, you know, I'm not a, a major expert on ozone activated technology, but, um, you know, that's exactly what it is. It basically, um, attaches to your, all your stinkiness, your scents and your perfumes and, um, for a lack of better word, crushes it and gets rid of it. And, um, I, it, it has worked well for me. I will say this last year I did about, um, 30 sits, which was actually kind of light. We, uh, we welcomed our, our firstborn into the world last September. And, um, so I did not get to hunt as much as I would have liked, but I still got to go quite a bit. And out of those sits, I think I may have been busted, um, once or twice. And now that being said, um, I do make sure that I'm, you know, my wind is correct also. So I, I take, I, I don't just use the, the scent killing, um, products. I also am checking my wind. So I like to have every, um, advantage possible. And, um, but that being said, I I've noticed a difference. Um, and maybe it's just me becoming a, a smarter, wiser hunter as I get older, um, uh, with the help of, you know, a product like scent crusher, but, um, it, I can, I can definitely tell that it, um, it has, you know, given me the upper hand from time to time. And, um, it's, you know, you have deer come in right on top of you, maybe that, you know, or maybe that you don't know, and they have no idea that you're there. And, you know, we can talk about that here in a second as well, but, um, yeah, I mean, they've got something for everybody. Um, for me specifically, I like the gear bag. It's easy to tote around. You can haul a lot of stuff in it. I mean, I, I put a ton of stuff in my bag. It just has, um, a lot of capacity to carry and, um, I can, you know, eliminate stuff all at one time. And the great thing is you don't have to do it, um, you know, often I, I, I do mine before I go hunting and then I'm good for the rest of the hunt. And I, I do a lot of, um, you know, three quarter day sits to all day sits and, um, it holds out pretty well. And I, I do do it before, even if I do back to back hunts, um, on back to back days, I like to crush mine just for, you know, my confidence knowing that I have done something to eliminate my scent. But, um, yeah, I just like the gear bag, but they have, um, they have like these, totes that are, you know, like the boxes that seal up and you can put a generator in those and they have everything all the way up to the, the closets to where if you want to hang every piece of hunting clothes, uh, and gear and, um, they don't recommend boots because over time the boots will break down, but they have, um, you know, uh, a gear stand where you can put your boots on top of them. So they've got, like I said, they've got something for everybody. And, um, as far as, um, you know, 
worth the money. I would say this, you know, if you want something to last a long time, um, it's, it's worth it because there, you know, there are other products on the market, but number one, have they been backed by, um, research and, um, you know, just have they been in the lab and have they been tested? And number two, are they going to last long? And, you know, my bag, um, the, the the zippers are still holding out. I think I'm on season three with my bag. The generator's still working. I've taken mine on a plane before. So, you know, planes allow you to take them. You just got to be careful um, with the generator that it's not uh, thrown around or messed up. And so, um, they are durable. And of course, you know, people, there's going to be exceptions. People are going to have, um, uh, you know, bad experiences, but I will say this customer service is great. They're very helpful. And I think, um, don't quote me on this, but I think several of the products have a two year warranty. So, um, that's, you know, right there. If, if something messes up, just, give them a call and you'll be good to go. Yeah. The thing that I really maybe isn't a common thing for people is that I really appreciate that products like this give me confidence. Uh, And I think confidence is everything going in the woods. So that's, that's number one. The other thing is you talked about the price point and I want to say the bag is like $250. Is that right? Um, I think that's about ballpark. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure off the top of my head. It's like, it's like 200 and something dollars. And, and I just want to give this example. I just spent almost a hundred dollars on a duffel bag, a waterproof duffel bag off of Amazon, and it does not have an ozone generator on it. So as far as the price point goes, I just don't know that you can necessarily complain about it or think that it's too steep because bags in general cost a lot of money. And so, um, that's, that's one of the things that I've really been looking at in it is before I pull the trigger, is this kind of stuff worth it? And I really, you know, I really think it is. And so, um, but they also have, you said they have a tote, they have the car charger or the car plug in and am I missing anything? Yeah. So they have the closet, the closet, um, they have, they have a giant, um, that well they have, I think they have two. So they have one that's, you know, uh, I think maybe, uh, a plastic closet that's a little bit um it's a, a cheaper price point and then there's one that's a very heavy duty like it's not going to move um closet as well and they have that one of their newer products is something called the room clean so if you know you just want something for the house or something for maybe your hunting cabin or your lodge or wherever you're you know spend deer camp at they have something you can just plug right into the wall and it's gonna um you know has 10 20 30 minute increments that it can run for and just you know kill all the the bacteria um in reach so they have a ton of things and the one thing that you're referring to is the ozone go and basically like you said you just plug it right into the um the cigarette adapter in your in your car and um you know i personally just run it when, um, I, I sometimes run it all night long or I run it, um, you know, 10 to 30 minutes before I jump in my truck or, um, you know, whatever's convenient. But, um, yeah, that way, uh, if there's anything from maybe your, your child spilt their food or you have a, an oil stain, or I don't know, maybe you spilt coffee in it that morning, it's going to get rid of that smell, um, before you go hunting that evening. So there's a lot of, a lot of upside and a lot of, um, positive, um, about, um, all the products, but especially those that were just mentioned. You know, I think it's also important to point out that 
the the jury is not out on ozone. It, it has been decided that ozone works. It's not a matter of if it works. It's been right. used in the medical medical community and uh, chemical plants and the construction industry for for decades. It's it's not a matter of does ozone work. And really, the 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 hunting community just kind of adapted that technology for us. Uh, but it hundred percent works. The the question is just how much does it affect a deer's nose? And that's kind of the million dollar question that people want to know is, you know, can a deer, uh, still get through the ozone? And from what I can tell through my research, there definitely have been our benefits of ozone for sure. <clears throat> yeah. And I've noticed, I've noticed a lot in, in what I've done, with ozone, I've noticed a definite difference. And like Nathan said, maybe it's because I am a better hunter than I was five years ago before I started using the, some of the ozone products. But, you know, I, and I don't think there's any way to 100% fool the deer's nose other than hunting, uh, hunting in the right wind. But I think anything that you can do that helps just a little bit is worth it. I agree with you 100%. You said, you hit the nail on the head, Parker, that it's it really boils down to confidence because you could really have the same conversation about activated carbon like in Scentlock and other other materials out there. There's there's no question that it that it works. The 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 question is how much does it work on a deer? Um, I mean, activated carbon just like ozone is been used for decades for all sorts of purposes for removing odors and and things of that nature so the question is is how much do you trust it but at the end of the day if it gives you confidence and it makes you feel comfortable going in onto into that big bucks bedroom then you should do it and i'm a fan of all that stuff yeah absolutely i'm i'm pumped about it uh, there's so many products man out there sometimes it's hard to to decide what you want what's necessary but at the end of the day greg i think you're right and and nathan i think you're right i think it's about what what makes you confident and and what's been proven to work the most also so um so that being said nathan i think you have a pretty cool story about success with your scent crusher bag is that right yeah so um this was uh two seasons ago and the one you're referring to um was in north carolina so it was actually in um the middle part of the state, uh, so I guess the, the, yeah, the middle part of North, North Carolina and, um, right kind of close to where my folks live in uh, Southwest Virginia. But anyways, um, it was towards the, I think it was around Thanksgiving actually, cause that's when I would have been up there. Um, we, my dad and I, we, uh, took off on to a farm that, we had uh, permission to hunt on then. We no longer do. Um, that farm eventually got sold. But um, we uh, were, you know, running some trail cameras in the uh, off season. And so we knew that there were some great bucks and was from some of the bucks that we had harvested um, previously. You know, we knew that there were some on there. And um, so this buck actually. Um, at first I didn't recognize him. And then I went back and looked through some, some trail camera photos and, you know, realized, um, who he was. But before we get to that, so we started out and I actually had picked an entire, entirely different spot to hunt that night. I actually took my climber in and, um, went to this, this Oak flat that was up on this hill that we really didn't hunt too often. And so I was trying to just kind of change it up. And, um, man, as I started, 
you know, walking in, I was crunching every leaf on the face of the earth. And I was like, this is just not going to work. If, if something's in here, they've already heard me and they're probably long gone by now. So I, I kid you not. I, I mean, it's, it's pushing, you know, three thirty, four o'clock. And I'm like, I gotta, you know, I gotta figure something out. And so I, um, with my climber on my back, I take off to the clear other side of the property, which um, was probably, you know, half a mile to three quarters of a mile. And so I'm, I'm, you know, it, it's cool, but I'm probably dripping sweat at this point because of the gear that um, I have with me because I didn't think that I was going to have to go very far. Well, um, I finally make it to another uh, stand set up that was already in place, was already um, stationary and um, climbed up in it caught my breath and was like, great. So I'm not, you know, I don't really feel like I didn't have a lot of confidence because, um, it was, you know, already late in the evening. I felt like I had probably spooked everything, but probably about four 30, um, some does entered into the area where I was. And I was like, okay, um, this was, this was primarily a rifle stand. And so I could see about 70 to 75 yards. Well, uh, these does, they they came right at me and um i was like okay well i'm gonna get a shot on one of these so that's good I'll, I'll be able to put some meat in the freezer um we'll you know we'll call it a night um and these does i mean they they probably came 20 yards one of them actually went behind me and i had one in front of me so i was doing my best not to move and try to figure out you know what was going on Part of me wanted to wait to see if anything else was going to come behind them. And so I did wait for a little bit and, um, I did have my little, um, you know, amateur camera set up as you were referring to the video earlier. Uh, I was just getting into some filming and so it was kind of comical actually, but, um, nonetheless, I decided that I was going to take a shot at, um, a doe. And one of them, you know, pranced back out in front of me. She went off a little bit further, about 30 or 40 yards and took the shot. And I just completely whiffed. And I was just, you know, stunned that I just missed this deer um, at so close a range. And um, I was I was just beside myself. And thank goodness there was still some some time left. And, I, you know, I didn't think I was going to see anything, anything at all. And about I kid you not, like 15 minutes later, this buck comes up over this hill on the other side. And I was just shaking my head like there's there's no way. And um, it was this buck and he comes out into the open and takes some steps. And, you know, as you see in the video, um, I take the shot and he just he just drops. And so um, I was I was very fortunate to shoot that buck. But as far as scent crusher is concerned man you know i was sweating i was sweating from one end of the property to the other and i had those does right underneath me and had those does busted out of there i would have had no chance even though i even though i had already shot um you know it it doesn't always scare the deer which i believe it or not have had um, a similar instance where i missed before and, and still killed the buck but just the way the property lays out that they they're kind of, you know, not sure where it came from. And so 
um, shot this deer. He dropped, and I just took a big sigh of relief because it was one of those nights that you're just like everything that could go wrong went wrong. And um, for it to kind of all culminate with this buck on the ground and being able to share that experience with my dad as well because he, he wasn't in the stand with me, but he was obviously – um, you know, in a stand, um, nearby, we got to share that experience and just, um, get to, you know, revel in that moment. So it was really cool, man. That's, that's awesome. I, I love stories like that. I love the, the times that I remember the best are when it seemed like everything was just going to crap. And then all of a sudden, all it takes is a second for it to change. And so there's a couple things that you can learn out of this thing. Number one, Enjoy the times you get to be in the woods with your dad because those are awesome. Number two, don't ever get discouraged and don't quit. And number three, I think you should look into buying a scent crusher bag. Like I know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm I'm not trying to be gimmicky or anything like that. It just it seems like it works. And aside <laughs> aside from that, like let's just be real, guys. How many times do you buy that odor free laundry detergent when you could just throw your stuff in the bag? You know what I mean? Do y'all's wives ever get mad whenever you put all your hunting, your dirty hunting clothes in the laundry? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, well, and that's well, let me make a point right there as well. Is I only wash my clothes maybe once or twice a season, and I know that sounds disgusting, but I don't have to when I crush them. You know, every time I go hunting because they don't smell, and the reason I wash them is for any you know, dirt or anything that gets on them. So hopefully blood. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. That too. Yeah. <laughs> we want to wash that stuff out. I, I don't know. I kind of like keeping the blood on my clothes. It kind of gives a little character. I'm pumped up, man. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to buy one. I may talk to you a little bit more in the future, but we are a, sure. about an hour since we started talking. So, um, man, Greg, do you have anything else for Nathan? Oh, man, I've really enjoyed the conversation. There's a lot to learn about, you know, we kind of hit scent crusher at the at the beginning here, but I'm really just excited to learn more about hunting in Georgia. And it sounds like Nathan's the kind of guy where I can I can definitely learn a few things from. And I'm excited to go check out his writing at uh, wide open spaces and, and learn about all this stuff. Yeah, so that's a that's a good point. Nathan, where can our listeners hear from you at? Yeah, so um one of the places they can go is my Facebook page where all my articles are. It's just Bulldog Outdoors. Um, and that's B-U-L-L-D-A-W-G because I am a dogs fan. So they can go check out all my articles. Or if they want to check out the site, they can just go to WideOpenSpaces.com. Okay, cool, man. I'm I'm going to give you a plug. I know you probably felt weird about saying this, but you also have a deer hunting podcast as well, yep. too. <laughs> I do. That's uh, that's the Whitetail Guru Hunting Podcast. I appreciate that. Um, and I do. That's definitely more geared towards whitetail hunting. And so some of my whitetail related posts are on that Facebook page as well. And we got tons of great content that's on there for sure. Man, it's I, I started listening to it today, actually. And I'm pumped to listen to more of it, dude. It's uh, it's a great podcast. And we're honored to have you on the show. Some people, I'm not going to mention any names, but some people, when they were a guest on our show, uh, pimped their own podcast without asking. So That dude must be a jerk. He's a big-time jerk. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we, uh, we really appreciate you coming on, Nathan, dude, and I wish you the best of luck this season. Yeah, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it, and uh, I've had a great time hanging out and talking deer with you guys. 
And that's going to do it for this week on the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Man, that was a great conversation with Nathan Unger. Number one, man, check out all of his stuff on Wide Open, on wide open Spaces uh, and on Instagram, on Bulldog Outdoors. And also, really check out this Scent Crusher bag. Greg, I don't know about you, man, but I'm, I'm thinking about getting one pretty quick. Me too. You know, I've been looking at ozone and I've studied it a lot and I talked with a lot of really smart people about ozone and I think I'm getting converted, you know, and hearing his experiences is just another kind of another nail in the coffin to help close the door and make me jump off and, and, and bite the bullet and make the purchase. How many metaphors can you use in one sentence? You're welcome. <laughs> that yeah. was awesome. That was Sour. great. That they was great. Greg the metaphor. Greg the metaphor. That's cool, man. Well, guys, as always, remember to check out Onyx Maps, it's the best mapping app, the best software you could possibly find. And I truly believe that. Also, go start your profile on Go Wild. I think you will not regret it. And then, of course, we can't forget, go buy 15 tethered saddles for you and all of your buddies and put money in Greg's pocket and feed his family. Right? I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Buy, you know what? Buy 20 of them. Um, uh, hey, <laughs> why stop there? Yeah. Keep you, going. Yeah. We're just going to believe this. This is going to turn into a, a million, the million dollar idea from, from the team at tethered. Um, but uh, Greg, do you have anything else, man? Man, again, I've said it like five times on this podcast, but I'm just thankful to be here. I'm thankful that you uh, thought enough of me to invite me back on your show. You could have picked anybody, and you picked me, so that means a lot to me. Thanks for having me, and uh, I cannot wait to come back on Southern Ground and talk to your listeners again. Absolutely. We wouldn't have it any other way, buddy. Um, You guys, make sure you go check out the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. It's a new thing that we're doing. From now on, all of Southern Ground's video content and vlogs will be on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. Other than that, you can find us on Instagram at Southern Ground Hunting. That's S-T-H-R-N Ground Hunting. You can find us on Facebook at Southern Ground Hunting as well. Um, And as always, guys, remember God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So make sure you remember to go out and exercise that dominion. Till next time, I'm Parker McDonald, and this has been Southern Ground. Have a great week.